0: What's going on? It's Chris Carino. This is the Voice of the Nets podcast. We are heading into the final couple of weeks of the Nets season. Playoff time. It gets really exciting. I get juiced up for the playoffs. A couple of things really get me excited. Because I, I Tim Capstraw noticed this about me. In the game uh, we just played recently as we're recording this in Miami on Saturday night. A huge net comeback win. I'm sure we might get into that a little bit later on here on this uh, this mailbag episode of the Voice and nets podcast but a couple of things get me psyched up one is great weather and you get that in Miami we had low 80s sunshine it was gorgeous so just coming to the arena in that kind of environment on the Biscayne Bay it's just it just gets me fired up all right so i had a lot of juice on saturday night and the other thing is playoffs games with playoff implications and that game against Miami had huge playoff implications so those two things got me fired up so now as i record this we got kind of like spring is in the air in the, in the northeast and there the games have playoff implications even though i'm coming off a very late night coming back from orlando in a game that yes had some playoff implications and did not work out well for brooklyn uh, I'm excited to be recording this, and excited to be doing it with uh, my producer slash engineer here, Isaac Lee, who's joining me, who's going to moderate the mm. mailbag. So you're moderator. I like that word. Yes, you're a producer, engineer, and moderator. Moderator. It's like all meet right. the press. Adding that to my resume. Yes. Podcast <laughs> moderator, along with all your other accomplishments, including the book of lasso which we're not, I don't think we'll get into too much Ted Lasso, but you never know when you and I are together. You never know. do that.
1: You never um, know. Yeah,
0: so we're, we're coming back from Orlando last night, Isaac. And, you know, again, I got home about 3 a.m. And it was disappointing. But I'll just point this out. The, the Nets went down to Florida. I know Jacques Vaughn bon wanted to get two wins because you're, you're in that mix now for the 5-6-7 spot. The Knicks, the, the Nets, and the Heat are all jumbled up. You wanted to get two wins. You probably, if you would have said... you you have to absolutely get one. You got to go one and one in this back-to-back. The one, I know people think Orlando is some kind of pushover because they're not going to be in the playoffs this year, but they are a sleeping giant, I think. I mean, watching them in person yesterday, Boncaro didn't even go off, and he's going to be the rookie of the year. He didn't even have a huge impact. Franz Wagner controlled the game. And Markel Fultz, has redeemed himself, maybe not to the level where he was supposed to be coming out of college. Um, But I love the relationship with him and Jamal Mosley, Jamal Mosley, their head coach who most people probably couldn't identify if he was walking around Orlando. But I really like him being around him at his press conference. We actually watched the end of the San Diego state game uh, on the TV with him uh, after his press conference. Um, Really, really impressed by him. But he has such a great relation, Markel Fultz. Every once in a while during the game, I see them with their arms around each other's waist talking to each other. You just tell there's a warmth there that's important. And they're going to get a lottery pick this year. I mean, if they hit the lottery and they get a Wemba Nyama, I mean, come on. Oof. Get your Orlando stock right now. But you know what is? it is? It's really, you know what it is, Isaac, too? And you, you, you're you a Clipper fan, right? You're out yes. in LA. Yes, sir. You know, Clippers found this out for a while and they hit on it a little bit. If you get enough lottery picks eventually, like, you gotta be good. Mm-hmm. Like, people used to mock the, the Sixers in the process and they had all those lottery picks. And, you know, people think it didn't work out. Well, you know what? No, it did. Because they got Joel Embiid. Yes. And they turned Ben Simmons into James Harden. Mm-hmm. And they're making a run of the title this year. I don't know if they're gonna win, but so it worked out a little bit. You know, Sacramento this year. Look how many lottery mm. picks they've accumulated. Like the beam. Yeah, like the beam, right? And they're, they're, we saw them in person last week, and they're terrific. And they, they beat the Nets, and they didn't even have um, Kevin Herter in the first quarter got hurt and went out. What a trade that was. Again, that, that was using your, your assets to make trades to bring in guys like Herter and Sabonis, to go along with guys you drafted like Fox. So, you know, it. mediocrity is not rewarded in the NBA. Like, you don't get anywhere being mediocre in the NBA. Either be really good or really bad. And uh, the Magic have been bad for a while, but now, you know what? They were 5-20. and They are over 500 for like the last three, four months. And in this little stretch now, last week with Miami, the Knicks, and the Nets all battling for 5-6-7, Orlando's beaten all three of them. So, yes, you don't want to panic. I don't want to make excuses for the Nets. But they played at eight o'clock in Miami on Saturday night, and then had to play at six o'clock the next night in Orlando. And yeah, it's only a thirty-five minute flight, but it takes you a long time to get loaded up, packed on the plane, everybody board, get the bags on, get the equipment on, get to the next place, get off, get to your hotel, settle in. You know, it's it takes a while. You get in, it's three o'clock. So, listen, the, the Knicks, the Nets, in Miami have all lost to the Magic. So there's no shame in that. In last week, and you needed to beat Miami because now you get a win and you gave them a loss. So that's that's where we are with the Nets. Now, I, I thought we thought it would be a great idea, Steve Gold, Goldberg, our producer, and Isaac. We got together and said let's let's do a mailbag episode here. Uh, let's connect with you guys out there. And and I solicited some on Twitter and the Nets solicited some on Instagram. Uh, so we got ourselves some questions and they're gonna run the gambit, obviously, from the Nets to the in the Brooklyn years, the New Jersey years. We're gonna talk food, all kinds of stuff like that. So stay with us, as they used to say on sports phone. And uh, and Isaac, uh let's 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 you're gonna you're gonna interpret these or or you're gonna moderate these, Mm. give us who who gave us the question. Maybe gives a little context as well. So yeah. uh, I'll let you I'll let you begin this this portion. I'm very excited about the mailback episode. <laughs> our very first mailback, Chris. yes, of many. Um, we'll do more of many, of many. Um, our first
1: question is from real Sam Roll. What is your favorite era in the NBA? Obviously, you've been watching the NBA for you know your entire life. You've been working in and around the sport. You've seen all of these different eras, however you define them, Chris. What is your favorite era?
0: I guess where he asked about NBA era, not just Nets. I could give you both. I can give you both. (sighs) Let's do both. Why not? So as far as just basketball, I think like a lot of people when it comes to their fandom, it's always nostalgic to go back to the time that really hooked them on whatever it is that you're talking about. You know, like I... I'll always, as, as great as the Yankees have been in my life, and I'm a huge Yankee fan, I'll always go back to the late 70s, being like a seven or eight-year-old kid, getting hooked on basketball, uh, excuse me, getting hooked on baseball and watching those Yankee teams. You know, Greg Nettles was my favorite player, Reggie Jackson and Thurman Munson, and all that. So, But when it came to the NBA, I was a little, I was a little late as far as where, where gravitating toward the NBA. I was a huge college basketball fan when I was a kid. Remember I was a Villanova fan and and that run they made and when they won the championship and they beat Georgetown, I was like a, I was like a real actual Villanova fan that whole year. You know, I had their stuff up on the wall. I was following them in the tournament. So that was like a huge deal when they, when they beat Georgetown, when I was watching that. The NBA, I mean, I, I, I liked the NBA as well. I was a huge Bernard King fan when I was a kid, but Mm. I really got hooked in like where, like a lot of people in the NBA got hooked. Uh, in that early '80s, you know, that was the Knicks, Bernard King, but also those years with the Lakers and the Celtics and the Magic Sixers Bird. and Dr. J. Yeah, Magic and Bird. Like that's what really hooked me into the game. Now I'm not as get off your lawn. It was game was better back in the '80s, guy, than it is now. I think it's as entertaining as it's ever been right now. But I always gravitate towards those Sunday afternoons turning on CBS. And uh and watching those those battles between those teams and seeing games of the old Boston Garden, that to me was my favorite era. I know uh, this is mm. way before you were born, Isaac. No, but I do know a lot about it as as somebody who studied
1: a lot of NBA history. Um you got to watch Kareem. Yeah. Kareem Abdul Jabbar.
0: Yeah. As 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 an older, you know, I don't remember Lou Alcinder and I don't remember young Kareem, but I remember Kareem, you know, energized with magic coming to the Lakers. Mm-hmm. And Cap. And yeah. This is Cap. The cap, the captain. And it wasn't that I rooted for those teams. It was just because, because I was growing up in New York and I did, I did like the Knicks. They were bad for a while, but I did like Bernard King and they had a little good run there, like 85. But that's probably my favorite era. Now I do, again, I, comparison is the thief of joy is my, one of my favorite things to say. Um, so that doesn't mean I don't like other eras. I mean, I mean, how, you know, how could you not, you know, love those, You know, when when the game starts to get up-tempo now, and we're seeing games in the 150s and 140s. Funny, I was watching highlights of Jason Kidd the other day. It was his 50th birthday. Happy birthday, Jay Kidd. I know things are a little tough for Dallas right now. (sighs) Looking rocky. But he did celebrate his 50th birthday the other day. and, and, And one of the NBA sites on social media put out all like his great passes and his great plays. And he was such a clutch player. And this leads me to my favorite era of Nets basketball had to be the J. Kidd years, my first years doing play-by-play. And there was this one play where he's against Detroit. I remember it was a a, a playoff game and it's a Sunday afternoon in Detroit and I'm courtside. And it happened right in front of me. He gets at the top of the key. He works right of the lane. He drifts out to the baseline, right baseline, fade away, big bucket, clinch the game. They go up, I think, 2-0 on Detroit in that series. And the score, I think, was like 79-73. This was the final seconds of the game, Isaac. <laughs> wow. These are halftime scores yeah. in the NBA today. I, Nets won game one. I should say they, they, they won one of, the, one of the first two games I remember, the San Antonio series. The game one when they won or game two. When, uh, game one when they lost or game two when they won in the, in the finals in 04. The game was in the 70s. I mean, I, I don't know if that's better, but it, it was certainly different than it is today. Much more physical. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So those are my two okay. favorite errors right there. Okay. Also, Isaac, you have to I tend to I tend to to speak a lot and go off in different directions. You have to make sure you you lead me that make sure I answered the question properly.
1: <laughs> I think you did this time, and, and I'm well aware of your your drifty tendencies, Chris. I've I've edited hours and hours of your voice at this point. Um You so like we'll my just, drifty tendencies, don't you? <laughs> I quite like it, yeah. Right. Um our second question. Mm-hmm. From JJ Hyunjin BBY. Who is the best matchup for the Nets in the first round of the playoffs? I'm assuming best meaning who gives the Nets the best chance yeah. to move on.
0: Yeah. That's a that's gonna be tough because, you know, you could say if if they have an outside chance of, you know, they're only a game and a half of this retape this game and a half behind the Knicks to get into the fifth. So you'd always say, Well, as high up as you can go, you're gonna face a lesser team. Even if you get fifth, you're looking at Cleveland, who just beat them twice last week. Now, the Nets kicked the game away the second game, eight-point lead with two and a half minutes to go, Uh, just turned it over and couldn't control. It was a a circus down the stretch, and they end up losing that game. So you think, well, they could probably play with them. The, The problem with Cleveland is they've got those two bigs up front, Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. And the Nets struggle with size and rebounding. They don't rebound the ball well. And Cleveland is the best defensive team in the NBA. Number one defensive rating in the NBA. And the Nets have struggled. That's, that's not the strength of the Nets. Offensively is not the strength. So, so that's not a great matchup, right? But do you want to play Philadelphia? Oof. And Joel Embiid? Certainly not. I, that, I don't know about that. I mean, it would be a great storyline you're going up against Harden and you're you only you don't have to travel you're only going down the road to Philadelphia really and but Embiid is scary now the one thing though that does and and let me go through the team so that that's scary then Boston is the other possibility um even though the Nets had that 28 point comeback and beat Boston even though I do think they're almost better equipped now this year to play Boston than they were last year when they got swept because they've got big wings who can deal with Brown and, yeah. Dorian. And and that showed up in that win against the Celtics where they came back from 28 down back in early February, back in February. So that's a possibility, but do you really want to play the Celtics in Boston in a a postseason? No. And we know what Milwaukee's been able to do historically last few years against the Nets. That's not a matchup you want. You want to avoid Historically against um, basically anybody in the East. Yeah, there's no matchup for Giannis. So long-winded answer. Here's Here's the answer I would give you. I'll take my shot with the Sixers, Isaac. And here's why. Ooh, okay. Here's why. They have blow-up potential. Hmm, mm. Joel Embiid, as imposing physically as he is, seems to always be a little fragile. Now, he's played all year, right? This, I think that's one of the reasons why I, I probably won't give him my MVP vote, because he's been durable this year, but he hasn't been healthy. He's played through a lot of stuff. When you're one of these lower seeds and you're going up against these these higher teams, there's the potential. Like if a guy gets hurt, I mean, not, not you're not rooting for injury, but it's it's it, there's a history there. So if he's not 100, percent what are the Sixers? A team you can beat. Mm. So it's hard to say. Hey, uh, we want to play the Sixers because uh, Embiid can get hurt. That's not what I'm saying. They have the potential too with. There's there's a little, you know, Harden's got a history of not playing well in the playoffs, not coming through in big spots. Uh, And the rest of that team has been streaky. There's there's just an implosion, uh, you know, air about them. That's the only thing I'm saying. I I think what I'm basically saying is out of all four teams, the Nets really don't match up great with any of them. But I'll take my chances with the things that could go wrong with the Sixers. So what you're saying is the Philadelphia
1: 76ers have a high ceiling and a low floor. And if you get lucky, you'll get the low floor version of the Sixers, in which case the Nets can move on. Yes. How do you
0: think Clax matches up with Embiid? He's played him much better lately. Mm-hmm. He, you know, it's funny because we've seen this matchup with the Sixers over the last few, in the playoffs once when it was Jared Allen. And Jared was very young and Embiid just bullied him. And then you saw a little growth in Jared Allen the next couple of years, where he didn't let Embiid bully him. I'm seeing the same thing with Nick Claxton. When Claxton first used to go against Embiid, Embiid just tossed him around. He bullied him. claxton has got Clax has got dog in him. Like mm. he he's not going to back down from people. And he he didn't yeah. do it against Embiid this year. And Embiid got frustrated. There was a play where he rejected Embiid in a game this year. Um, and then got mixed it up on the other end with him and they've got technicals like it Embiid tries to intimidate and Clax doesn't have it now they got it the thing about the Nets is you know Clax has got to do it in a different way he just can't bang down there with them. and the Nets don't have that guy they can go to that's just gonna that big seven footer that just sits on the end of the bench and when you need him against Embiid you put him in there like when they had DeAndre Jordan right but now I, I just in the last couple of times they they played the Sixers uh, you know they they haven't had a great success, but um, the the last time they played him in in Brooklyn, right after the trade, it was the first game that the Nets had all their players, the new guys, together. Very first game,
1: hmm.
0: they controlled the game throughout. They had the game. They had a lead into the into the fourth quarter late, and then they couldn't score the last like six minutes of the game. And Philadelphia came back and won and won a close game late. And I don't, they got to like a hundred on like the last shot of the game. So, Hmm. you know, that's the potential. So that's, that's what I'm looking for. That's, that's, I think what I'm looking for in, in terms of, of saying that Sixers. Yeah. None of them are good, but Sixers might, might be interesting.
1: It's a pick your poison situation, right? When you're yeah. a lower seed in any, com- in either conference. So.
0: And I like it because I just drive an hour and 15 minutes to, and <laughs> I'm there.
1: Yeah. Philadelphia, kind of underrated city as far as like food goes, you know, there's a lot of, lot of great little spots uh, here yeah, and there. Everybody talks
0: cheesesteak, but really it's the, uh, the pork broccoli rob sandwich that you get. And there's a little place down by the, by the train station downtown. Okay. Market area. Yeah.
1: Okay, a little little knowledge. Drop us some go. knowledge, Chris. All right. Um, our third question from Brian Wynn 4 This is really
0: simple. Who's your favorite net of all time? We've already mentioned him here on the podcast. It's Jay Kid, Jason Kid. Um, now I do I, I see favorite or best. That's another question because. Yeah, so now I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna venture. You're on complicating there. it. It's a simple question, Chris. You're I know you want to complicate it. it because my favorite guy, like my favorite person that ever played for the Nets, I'm gonna say is Brooke Lopez. Wow. Okay, okay. But as far as like to watch and like nostalgic and did the most for my career in terms of my enjoyment of the games, I got to do two NBA finals because of Jason Kidd. Yes. So there I, I know I I complicated a very direct question, but <laughs> I can't leave out Brookie because he's my favorite person, I think, that I've ever covered. Not that I didn't like Jason Kidd, but uh but as far as a player and watching him play it was probably Jason Kidd. I mean let's let's elaborate on that because mm-hmm. everybody knows about Jay Kidd.
1: He's a legend, Hall of yeah. Famer. But Brookie, like, obviously he means a lot to the Nets. He was he was with the Nets for a very long time, but why do you Why did
0: you feel such a kindred spirit or such fondness for him? Well, number one, he's the franchise's all time leading scorer, Mm -hmm. And he played as many seasons with the Nets as any other players ever played. But Brooke was just a kind person. Like he Mm -hmm. just was a regular guy. He was this gentle giant. And he would very, he would just love to stop and have a conversation with you about anything but basketball, you know? And, um, we did a. I did a. I did a fundraiser one time with uh, with my foundation, and I got him and Rondé Hollis Jefferson to to dance for this video, um, <laughs> and he did it you know easily for me. You know, I mean, I mean, one time I mentioned to him, he came in. This is after he even played for the Nets. He came in. You know, Brooks a big Disney guy, right? Has a property on Disney or whatever, mm-hmm. and I think he was out playing for the Lakers. I, and I saw him at the arena and uh he was we were just you know he's asking about my family and all that kind of stuff. And and I said, Oh, we're gonna you know, we'll go out in LA. I'm taking my family with me. My son wants to go to Disneyland, so we might go out there. He's oh wait a minute, you gotta call if you are going to Disneyland, you gotta call me. So I let him know. I said, Yeah, we're going on this day, wherever. He just goes, Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna set you up and set us up with like a concierge, like a person who traveled with us. It was like a fast pass, wow. one of the rides with my son. It was unbelievable. And he took care of it all and was happy to do it. Like he wanted to show off Disney for us. Like he was that kind of guy. Like he's just, he's just a, just a, a, just a sweetheart of a person. And I am, I am so happy for him right now. What's going on in Milwaukee. The fact that he got a ring, um, the fact that he's getting talked about for defensive player of the year this year. I mean, he had, Mm -hmm. we, I know we played him recently out in Milwaukee. He didn't have, the, the Nets weren't playing a lot of their, their regulars, but they, they're, they were. It was a close game down the stretch. Brooke had nine block shots, most block shots in wow. a game this year wow. in the NBA. So uh, really, really happy for Brooke Lopez and all his success. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean,
1: besides him being a nice person, even him as a basketball player, you see him evolve over the years, right? As a net, he's a low post, bruising, traditional center. And then... As the years went along, he developed a three-point shot. He developed a defensive yeah. game that was far beyond what we would have expected from an offensive
0: big, Splash Mountain, you know, Splash Mountain, him, right? And and he Here's the thing about, it, and I I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, but when he played for the Nets, it used to frustrate me, and I used to say it all the time on the air that all these coaches wanted to make him a back-to-the-basket low post guy, and that's not what he wanted to do, and it's not why mm. and he was automatic from the elbows and the top of the key. And I understand those are not the analytics shot. But you know what analytics are? Analytics are stats. And the analytics used to say Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, I remember we used to when when they were on the nets, they used to shoot a lot of mid-range shots because even the analytics would tell you those guys are a plus from that area. Mm-hmm. And Brooke was automatic with that mid-range jumper. The best shot is a shot you can make. Exactly. Well said, Isaac. And the thing is, if the guy's automatic from the top of the key, sometimes I think he probably was better there than he was catching it down on the block. So put the ball in his hands at the top of the key, because then he could either make a play off that, because he could get to, he could dribble, he could put it on the floor and go, or he can run the offense in the high post. Or he could take the shot. If you, if you, if you play drop on him, he's gonna take the mm-hmm. shot and he's gonna make mm-hmm. it. He used to frustrate the hell out of me. And look what happens. Budenholzer embraces his jump shooting, he moves him out. You know, it started with Kenny Atkinson. Kenny Atkinson was the when it was Brooks last year. Kenny made him take threes. And Brook took more in his career than he had in his in that season than he had in his whole career. And he made yeah. him. And you started yeah. to see it right there. So the guy could always shoot. And I always thought he was an incredibly underrated rim protector. And now the way the Bucs play, they play him in drop. He's at the rim. He guards the rim. And then he can spread the floor. He can still make plays off the high post if he wants to. um, And you're seeing him thrive right now. And he's got a ring because of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um,
1: Our next question was actually going to be, who do you think the greatest... (laughs) Who do you think is the greatest net of all time? But we already stepped on that as Jay Kidd. Yeah,
0: and if we want to throw, if we're going ABA, then we might have. Then we then we further complicated by throwing Doctor yeah. J in there. Well, Doc yeah. Doc definitely has to be up there yeah. um, for the for the the New York Nets who won the the most recent basketball championship in the New York area, and that would be <laughs> 1975. Oof. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't talk. I can't talk any trash. Um, we're just going to move on to this next question here from Anthony Chobot 20. What's your favorite moment from the 10 year anniversary of the Nets?
0: Uh, so you say over the last 10 years, I guess, or just this 10 year anniversary. What do you Ooh. think Isaac cuz they're, they're we celebrating both, the 10 year anniversary.
1: Chris, why don't why don't we interpret Anthony's <laughs> question as a as a dual pronged approach?
0: Um I think I've talked about this before that the the beginning in Brooklyn was a bit muted because Hurricane Sandy hit. Like mm. the first game they they played some preseason games but the first regular season game was supposed to be Nets Knicks and it was going to open up Barclays Center first regular season game, and then Hurricane Sandy hit. They had to postpone everything, um, and it was a it was a tough time in the in that area, you know. So it was muted a little bit. Um, the first thing I ever, first time I was ever in the completed Barclays Center was Jay Z's concert that opened it up. I was there opening night, which was amazing, incredible, just electric, right? Mm-hmm. Seeing Jay Z, seeing the, the building filled for the first time, which you had watched under construction and. Been going on for how many years or whatever. So that was that was an amazing moment. Um, you know, seeing the Nets, the playoffs there, I I gotta say though, in the 10 years, the most electric game moment, you know, besides being Pearl Jam there too, a couple of times, you know, but I, I digress. The playoffs two years ago, Kevin Durant his 49 point triple double in game five Mm. against the bucks to put them up three two going back to milwaukee for game six you know then you had the they got blown out by milwaukee then in game seven there's durant with the shot with his toe on the line which may be the loudest i've ever heard barkley center um but that 49 point triple double still probably absolutely the greatest performance I've ever seen in person by a basketball player, maybe by an athlete,
1: mm-hmm.
0: especially given what the injury to the Harden, the injury to Kyrie Irving, he was kind of carrying this group of kind of role players with him trying to beat a team that eventually would win the NBA championship that year. There, you know, that, that stands out to me as the, the most bananas that Barclays Center has ever been <laughs> and the most electric. That it had ever been with every one of his, you know, mid-range turnaround, fadeaway, unguardable shots that would go in. Um, they're just, just absolutely incredible, incredible performance. And as far as like yeah. the 10-year anniversary, um what I what I love, I'm gonna throw something in here, just a, a little bit of a curveball. They they brought in these um the red, white, and blue ABA throwback uniforms. And You've seen these uniforms, Isaac. I know you probably yeah. love them, right? The, the, the old mm-hmm. Doctor J uniforms. Oh, they're clean. And when they and they transform the court as well to the red, white, and blue. And when they and even in the arena, shout out to Paul Cameras, who's in charge of all the arena operations. They they'll put the scoreboard. They make it like the old dot matrix scoreboard, so it looks like a 1970s scoreboard. And what I love about it is you're connecting. The past to the present. You know, I felt like keeping the name Nets when they went from New Jersey to Brooklyn was important because it it kept that lineage going back to Dr. J and the ABA, or even going back to the, you know, when it when the ABA started and how important that was to what we see in the NBA right now. And also it connects the fans because yeah, we focus on Brooklyn and Brooklyn's in that building and it's a lawyer. Remember we talked to to the director, sh- director, Shaka King, and he talked about when I go in there, it's like my neighborhood's in here. Yeah, you have that, you know, but you also have a lot of fans of the Nets now who are out in Long Island because they were ABA Nets fans. Mm. You've got a lot of fans, the ones who watch it on TV and listen on the radio, a lot of them are out in New Jersey. Right. Who were New Jersey Nets fans. And the fact that we kind of use those old ABA throwbacks, which the Nets also wore in the finals in 4 against the Spurs, um, it just it helps create that connection. You know, we root for laundry as fans a lot of times. And the laundry connects us as fans. And I love embracing the old stuff. So um, when I'm sitting in Barkley Center in that beautiful arena at Flatbush and Atlantic and, and thinking about the 10 years there, I'm also looking up at the banners of Dr. J and Jason Kidd and uh and what we're seeing right now um it's just it's just I I love that connection so that's what I'm going to uh go with there.
1: Great answer, fantastic answer and you know acknowledging the fans, you know the team yes. really belongs to the fans. You know coaches change, players change, ownership changes or people in the organization change but
0: fans Fans, that's a lifelong thing. Absolutely. It's, it's all that. And, and the other thing about it, I think we talked about this in another podcast. I think I, I broke it down. There were like only 14 franchises that have won a championship in the NBA in the last 40 years.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Or 12 or 14. That's not a lot. Like, think about all the fans that root for yep. those teams that never get anywhere close. It's the journey. You know, this this yes. whole idea, even when we break down players, whether they win a ring. Well, I don't know, but but you got to watch them for so long. If they didn't win a ring, it doesn't make them not a great player. Like, we get mm-hmm. too wrapped up sometimes in the end result. Now, a lot of times the process will lead you to an end result, if you have the right process. But it, there's a lot of luck involved, too. So, yeah. you know, as fans, it's each and every night, you're enjoying the journey. Like, if you were a Net fan and you enjoyed their win against the Heat the other night, if the, the season doesn't end in a, in a a uh, in a championship, it doesn't Take away your elation from what you felt in the moment watching that win, watching that game.
1: 100%. Speaking
0: of, speaking of uh, wins
1: here, mm-hmm. from Peter Iovine, what is your favorite win
0: of the year? So my answer to that question, if we had taped this a few days ago, would have been the 28 point comeback in Boston. Against Boston. Yeah. yeah. Down, down 51, 23, came back in Boston mm-hmm. to win that game. Now, whenever they win in Boston, it's fun. You know, those fans, they're great fans. But it's, it's, it's the definition of a hostile environment when you go in there as a road team. So when you when you see them all fired up on a Friday night and they're and they're going nuts and and they're up 28 and they're and they're just it's a party. And then by the, an hour later, they're booing their team and they're walking out with like three minutes to go in the game. I mean, that's fun. That's great as a, <laughs> as an opposing team broadcaster. But, uh, so that's right up there. I don't want to diminish that one. But the game on this pat, past Saturday night, as we tape this, when they go into Miami and win against the Heat, there were... It's, it's all things considered, right? It was the importance of the game in the standings. Nets had fallen for the first time were behind Miami in the standings. In the all-important race, for six, sixth because you don't want to get seventh, then you got to play a play-in game, right? So mm-hmm. you want to get sixth. They're a half a game behind Miami for the first time. They've lost five straight games, the Nets. You're going into Miami. Miami shoots like 80% in the first quarter. Max Struess, who's a good player, but he's Max Struess, has like, 20 in the first quarter Mm. and i thought it was like all right but they're only down like seven all right but then they get down 14 then they're down 12 with like two and a half minutes to go in the second quarter they make a little bit of run back and they actually get it to four at halftime and i'm and i'm saying to tim at halftime i'm like i'm looking at the scoreboard tim and i I don't know how the Nets are in this game. And that usually bears well for you, right? When you're playing or you're playing poorly and they're, they're shooting 70% in the first half and they score 69 points. And with all this on the line, we're going, oh man, you know, here, here's a game with everything on the line. This could be your season, this game. And you come out and you go up 69 points in the first half and you allow them to shoot nearly 70%. But somehow you're still in the game. And they come out like I think 14 of the first 16 points. They have a 17-0 run there in the third quarter. They outscore the 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 Heat 39 to 18 in the second quarter. Wow. And wow. I said this, I, I said this on Twitter after the game. Might have been, all things considered, considering everything I just explained, might have been one of the best halves of basketball I ever saw a net team play. Wow. I mean, there is a point there. They th- the Heat had twenty-eight points in the second half until Omer Yurt 7 in garbage time gets a three-point play in like the last three seconds of the game hmm. and give him 31 points and gets him to 100. They had held him—they gave up 69 points in the first half, and they needed the Omer Yurt 7 three-point play with three seconds to go to get to 100. Hmm. So from a balanced attack, the, the offense, the way the ball moved, they bring in a guy like Edmund Sumner off the bench. He gets like uh, 12 points in 14 minutes goes end-to-end with four seconds to go in the third quarter and gets a bucket at the end of the quarter to get, you know, and then goes running and high and everybody. Like, there was such life and energy on the road, snapped the five-game losing streak, you know, moved up in the standings, handed Miami another loss. So to me, maybe it's a little proximity bias, but to me, that was my favorite win of the year this year. Wow.
1: What, a, what an impassioned answer, Chris. I really like that. I told
0: you, the the good weather and the playoff implications, (laughs) they charge me up.
1: A less uh, passionate answer, perhaps, for this next one. You never know me, Isaac. I'm passionate about a lot of things. (laughs) From D. Barrack, what should
0: be the Nets' next mascot? (laughs) So D. Barrack, I I have a feeling that's Doug Barrack. Who okay. is a is a fan that uh, a longtime net fan comes with his dad to games like great net fan comes to see us says hello, and hangs out with Mister Whammy. Do you know who Mister mm. Whammy is, Isaac? I do not know who Mister so, Whammy is. Please explain. So to he's me. this older gentleman who actually turned eighty seven recently, and uh, and and, and Bruce and he's he he's been going back to the Meadowlands days. He's actually an attorney
1: mm.
0: um, from Brooklyn, and. He wears a red turtleneck with a Nets, black Nets jersey that says whammy on it. he has been featured on like ESPN. He, he goes in, you know, the maloike, Isaac, where you do the a little, like yes. you put your fingers out, you try and curse the, the shooter. So he, he'll, he goes behind the basket when the other team is shooting and he whammies him. You know, he gives the maloike. He, mm-hmm. he tries to whammy him. But 87 jumps out of his seat every time an opposing player is going to the line and does the whammy. Doesn't do it to former Nets, by the way. Won't whammy former wow. Nets. Wow. Wow. Okay, that's loyalty. So I would think about this. Like, I hope that that Mr. Whammy is around forever. But I have a couple of rules when it comes to mascots. You may not have thought I I had so much in depth. Uh, I thought this would be a five second answer. Yeah, no, 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 nothing with me, Isaac. Mascots have to be have to be really friendly. I think furry helps. Mm-hmm. I think playful, athletic. When the Nets had Sly, the Fox in New Jersey, it's also, you know, here's another thing about the, the whammy because my friend Miguel was Sly for a long time. Great athlete to do all the dunks and everything, but playful, could walk into a party and just play with all the kids and stuff. Who's in the costume is as important as the costume, probably more so. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. And you could sometimes tell over the years, you, you, subtly you'd be able to tell if it was a different guy in the costume than it was years before. And they're like athletes. They can't do it for 50 years, you know like they of course. Can, you know. But when the Nets moved to Brooklyn, they, they kind of wanted to part ways with sly and go in a different direction and be new and everything. And they had this Brooklyn night. And he wasn't fuzzy, he wasn't warm, he wasn't playful. he was a bit intimidating. And the night went away. After a while, and you get a Brooklyn Knight, right? Like if you're if you're from Brooklyn, you're called a Brooklyn Knight. So they made the Brooklyn Knight with a K. But he was like a knight, like he was hard. He had armor. It was it not. You don't want armor. It's a thing that kids need to be able to go up to and hug, right? Right. And, uh, and recently, Ellie the elephant is the is the mascot for the Liberty, and she was Ellie the elephant was at the game the other night. The Nets honored the Liberty. And, um, which uh, as an aside, Spencer Dinwiddie described their best offense sometimes as they go elephant hunting, where you go, you try and just pick on the weakest link defensively. Not a great term around Ellie, obviously, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but, and I don't know if elephants are really like, uh, they kind of move slow and, but kids like elephants, but as long as it's just like furry and athletic and friendly, you need something. I, I would love to see it one day come back as long as it's like furry and friendly. and Because sometimes when you have these like community events or you go to visit schools, like nothing gets kids charged up like a, an energetic mascot coming in and playing with them and they get all charged up. And it right. it makes it fun for, the, for them. It makes it fun for the players that are there doing an appearance. So that's like kind of really a- analyzing it. But so maybe if Whammy, like down the road, and I again I hope Mr. Whammy's around forever. But he's, you know, realistic. We know life. Maybe we do some kind of a furry version of, of a whammy guy. We call him whammy. Hmm. And or even it was, you know, an elephant or whatever it may be, but he get we get the red turtleneck. We get mm. the, the jersey that says whammy, and and that could be the mascot. Down the road.
1: I like that. I like that. You know, many, 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 many years from now, obviously yeah. uh, we would hope, but we could honor his legacy. You know, we could
0: I keep don't, cursing. I, Whammy may be doing it when he's a hundred. Yeah. He, his energy, he is, <laughs> he is something else, man. Incredible. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Um, Some, uh, a f- couple of uh,
1: silly questions as we round out this mailbag here <laughs> uh, from this. Maddie Ng. What is your favorite ice cream flavor?
0: Cookies and cream.
1: Wow. Okay. Okay. I mean, it's crowd favorite. Mm-hmm. Everyone loves the cookies and cream, but strong feelings for the cookies and
0: cream. Yeah. I've gone on so long with all these other questions. I'm just going to be very direct and say cookies and cream.
1: Wow. You're, you're, you're really, uh, you're downshifting your energy. I enjoy this change I'm of pace. I'm not a
0: huge sweets guy. That's where me and my wife differ. I like a good cookies and cream I'm very simple and I'm like okay. a couple of bites and I'm good. I mean, cookies and cream is really good. I'll eat a whole bowl, but I won't eat a container.
1: (laughs) Mm. Mm. Our final question is a really important one. I think as a New Yorker, you know, you're, you're, you're a lifelong tri-state resident. Mm. You've always uh, been in the New York metropolitan area. Mm -hmm. So this is going to be, this is going to be a crucial, crucial answer. Do you put ketchup
0: or mustard on hot dogs? There's only one correct answer for this question. <laughs> it's, it's, it's obviously mustard. In fact- Of course. I, so, <laughs> I, you'd be, you'd be, what, a, what a shock. I can go on for about 20 minutes about hot dogs. But, because back in the old days of the old Meadowlands, they used to have the, the press room where everybody goes in and gets something to eat. They, they would always have great you know, food hot food, a nice meal. You can get a really good meal in a press room back in the middle. You still do in Brooklyn, but but even then you got a thing. But they had this thing in the Meadowlands where in the corner they had one of those hot dog machines where it, it, it rolls, you know, they get rolls around the little mm. rollators to cook mm-hmm. the hot dog. And they were known, like guys around the league would come and it was like they were coming, they needed to get a hot dog from the Meadowlands press room. Mm. So we had a, we had an engineer filling in one time. <laughs> and Capra, I see he, he goes down and he gets a hot dog at halftime or something. And he's got ketchup all over it. And I look at Capper, and he's almost, he's gagging and he, and he looks away. I go, what's wrong? He goes, ah, he, he's he got ketchup on a hot dog. It, it, I have a gag reflex. It's like, I hate that so much. <laughs> it means like a gag reflex. And I realize that I don't maybe get a gag reflex, but I probably feel about the same way. So it, mm. you can't do, uh catch up on a hot dog. I, I sometimes I, I don't eat hot dogs often. I'll do it when in the summertime on the grill. That's great. Yeah. But it's almost yeah. like a mustard delivery device for me. Wow. I got to have a, a lot of golden spicy brown mustard on that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To deliver the hot dog. And you you say it's a New York thing. It's funny you say that because I was actually had the I had had a great privilege of being able to go to a uh, to the city the other day. Fordham University sponsored a memorial for a great Fordham alum and the godfather of Fordham Broadcasting, Ben Scully, right? You know, out in LA, you know, Ben Scully's uh-huh. a big deal, right? Legend, legend. Uh, so I went to the the actual memorial mass for Ben Scully at St. Patrick's Cathedral. What a great morning that was. You know, Ben's family was there and everything. It was really a nice thing. And uh, my son's a freshman at Fordham and, and all the kids from the radio station that are working there now went. And we're there in the front. It was great. Um, but afterwards I'm I'm leaving and they have those hot dog stands on the corners and you know, and the dirty water dogs, as we used to call as we always call them. <laughs> and they're so probably so bad for you, but my I was so tempted, but it was in the morning. I hadn't even eaten breakfast yet. Like I just couldn't do it. But yeah, those those with plenty of mustard, and a little kraut. Thinking back days at a baseball game, they used to have the you used to go to a Yankee game, they would have the, the the vendors would come around with the little box that had the hot water in it and the dog, they would make a fresh one for you right there. They don't do that anymore. Mm. Not the same. But yeah, so. I bet you didn't know I was gonna get that far with hot no, dogs. No. Definitely not. Definitely not. I mean, my my
1: opinion is a little bit more sacrilegious, I think. Um I'm a relish guy. I really enjoyed relish.
0: Relish, right? I'm not a relish guy, but that's great. That's that's right. Yeah. There's also there's a thing called uh you know you ever hear a sabret you know the hot dogs sabret S A B R E T maybe that's a new york thing i don't know mm-hmm. sabret hot dogs are like the really popular hot dogs in new york and they they give you this and you would get this in the dirty water dog guy you know on the corner the onions the onion mix like mm-hmm. a tomato based onion mix mm-hmm. and they'll sell the the jars of it in the in the in the stores around the summertime too the Sabrette onion mix which is also Awesome, a little mustard too. Tremendous. And Isaac, like, you know, really? before I, before I, I know you said it was the last question. Sure, but I did notice a few people had checked in. I know when when I when I put it out on Twitter, I did see one that we didn't do, and and I just wanted to get to it because it's a poignant thing for me. Okay, and I saw okay. it. it ask a, yourself the question, because I, I thought you might ask one. But Mike Biseglia, who who has a podcast about food, that's why I wanted mm. to get to it. Okay, Mike delivers pod. Okay, I saw that. He's a, he's a guy who used to work at FAN. But he asked me about uh favorite city on the road that may be kind of not your traditional big city known for food, that you love the food. And I just wanted to, to, to say this one this one place, because it's always a surprise, and it's bittersweet right now for me. Um, When people ask me what's one of my my favorite restaurants in the country on the road, I say my absolute favorite restaurant in the country on the road, wherever we travel, and we go to all the big cities, is in Salt Lake City, Utah. Ooh. And it's Italian. And I've been, you know, I've been to Italian restaurants in Italy. Nothing is better than Valter's Osteria in Salt Lake City. And the reason it's bittersweet is a big part of when you went there, and the NBA family knows this. Valter was this larger-than-life guy, white hair, always had impeccably dressed, usually a sweater vest and a tie. And he greeted you like you were his long-lost cousin when you came in every time. And if he got to know you, forget it. He was just the hug. I never got hugged harder than Walter. Well, he recently passed away. He had cancer. I had said to a friend of mine out there who was going to be in Salt Lake City, I said, You got to go to Walters. And he went and he said, You know, Walter doesn't look good to me. He was. And then I saw pictures. He had lost his hair, that white hair. But everybody around the league knew you go to Walters. Uh, it, was, it was incredible. They, they, the service, they served things table side. It was like you were in Rome. I mean, it was just unbelievable. And the food was incredible. Walter. I I actually got the coffee table book that he had put out and it talked about his life and he was from Italy and he, he worked in these resorts that his family owned in Northern Italy, a uncle that owned it. And then they sent him to go work um, at one of their resorts in Northern Africa. And he worked there and he developed all his culinary skills and his restaurant skills. And then he went and worked at the Drake hotel in Manhattan and had a couple of places in New York and then went out to Salt Lake city, Utah. And, you know, he used to say, there's an Italian restaurant in New York. There's an Italian restaurant every block. Out here, there isn't as much competition. But he didn't need, it it didn't matter the competition. His stuff was authentic and real and incredible. Um, so I, uh, Walter Nassi, uh, I loved seeing him and miss him. And uh, hopefully Walter's will uh, still be the same without him there. But it's going to definitely be missing something. It's a, a major ingredient, but just want to get that out there.
1: Rest in peace. Yeah.
0: And you know what? I knew it was a great. You know, I, I'd send a friend out there one time, and he texted me, and he goes, "I know I'm in the right place when Greg Popovich is at the table next to me." Yeah, So there you go.
1: Yep, yeah. that's a good sign. Usually with the with the bottle of wine next to
0: him too. Yes, yes. So I don't want to not to end it on a low note. I I, I want to end it on a celebratory note because you talk about passion, Isaac. Mm. Nobody was more passionate about food and friendship and just life than Walter Nassi, and we should all live that way. It's like watching, he was like a, he was like a walkie, like an older Italian Ted Lasso. <laughs> just beautiful man, beautiful man. Uh, Chris, do you want to take us out? Yes, um, by the way, uh, so speaking of Ted Lasso, I always give you something to listen to. I always love, you know what I love, Isaac? Like, I love discovering music through TV shows. Have you ever done yeah. that? You, you Shazam yeah, yeah. something or Soundhound something when you see a song, so. Um, at the end, there's a very poignant scene at the end of season two, uh, uh, episode two, and it was a song and I had to Google episode it. Episode
1: two of season three, which is going on
0: currently. Yes. Let's, let's clarify for the audience. Yes, yeah. yes. So there's a song and I had to Shazam it, and it was a song called Night Falling. Nights mm. Falling by Andrew Bird. And then I did a little deep dive into his music, and you know he's, he's got a little violin thing going on and poignant lyrics, and he was from the Squirrel Nut Zippers if you remember that band. And um, he's got a long, long career. He's put out a lot of records. And then I did a little more you know, reading on him. He actually did some acting, and he was in season four of Fargo. He played the funeral director. And that was the year where uh, Chris Rock starred in Fargo. So that would yeah. be... So, so Andrew Bird is my listening recommendation, Night's Falling. And Fargo is something, if you haven't seen... You ever seen Fargo, the TV show, Isaac? I have not. That's a recommendation for me. Season three maybe a little uh um first couple of seasons. I mean, Billy, Billy Bob Thornton's in the first one. Like it's a great, it's, it's not like it's based on the T on the movie Fargo, but then it goes in different directions. And each season's a different kind of story with different actors and everything. And season four was Chris Rock, and that's Andrew uh Bird played uh the funeral director. So there you go. There are a couple of things to watch. And, and shout out, you know, speaking of Fargo, North Dakota, right? We have a, a listener, Jim, all the time, tweets in with us, me and Tim. Uh, listens to our games in North Dakota. How about that one? We got fans out there, Isaac. So uh, shout out to Jim. Shout out to everybody. Isaac Lee, thanks so much for being a part of being my sidekick here today. I like it. No, oh, no. Thank you for having me, Chris. I'm going to have to work you in more. <laughs> um, you're going to make me work harder. I know. Uh, and Steve Goldberg, and thanks to everybody there. Thanks to everybody checking in on the mailback. We're going to get to more of those. going to do that more. I didn't think, I, I'm like, everybody, we guys brought up, a, you and Steve brought up a, a mailback episode. I said, uh, what am I going to, like, that'll be 15 minutes. <laughs> no, because I talk too much. No, sir. Anyway. No, sir. Anyway, well, thanks, Isaac. Thanks everybody out there for uh, tuning in. We're gonna again, playoffs are coming up, so we're gonna have we're gonna have some more Nets related stuff coming up. When we get definitely before the playoffs, we'll have Sarah Kustock and 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 Tim Capstra on to break down those uh, those playoff series and break down the season. Thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. Again, I'm Chris Carino, and this has been the Voice of the Nets.